Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him. Nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum, but the fact is, it was our sins he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took that punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word, like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was led off. And he did, and did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with the rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life. Life and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. That's the message. Let's remember Jesus' body together. After the Passover supper, Jesus also took the cup and distributed it. And he said, actually, he said, this cup I'm not going to drink with you until the kingdom, until, I, until we can drink it in my kingdom. And that, my friends, is coming really soon. And so let's remember Jesus as well. Keep the cup until we can partake together. Let's remember Jesus shed blood, shed for your sins and for mine. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. And I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. not a series. Um, interesting, I was thinking what would be appropriate for 2023. And I th thought that, you know, at first I was looking at Philippians and and it's like um, that I might know him and, and the power of his resurrection, right? And, um, and then I was kind of led to Lamentations. And you might think, Lamentations, that's a really strange place to start the new year. But um, give, it, give it some time and you'll, you'll figure it out. But, but 
I want to start the message. And we're going to look at Lamentations chapter uh, 3, 1 to 25. But first we're going to... I knew there were going to be kids here and there was no junior church. And so I thought I'd start with a little bit of a story. <laughs> Huglas Douglas. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, like, how could I not like start 2023 without like a story okay Huglas Douglas and this is by David Melling so here we go are you ready one spring morning a big yawn came from the back of a deep dark cave it was a young brown bear and his name was Douglas I need a hug said Douglas so he wiggled out of his pajamas, brushed his hair, put on a scarf, and went out to look for one. The best hugs are big, thought Douglas, and so he went up to the biggest thing he could find, and he wrapped his arms all the way around and gave it a squeeze. That didn't feel quite right. Oh, grunted Douglas, it's a bit too heavy. My best hugs are tall, thought Douglas, and so he went up to the tallest thing he could find. He hugged the bottom, he hugged around the middle, and he hugged as high as he could reach. But it was all wrong. It had splinters. My best hugs are comfy, thought Douglas, and he trotted towards our cozy-looking bush. He cuddled the bush, but something felt very odd. The leaves quivered and trembled and ran away. Give us a hug, cried Douglas. No, bad the sheep, we're too busy. He scooped up armfuls anyway and tried to cuddle them gently, but they kicked and squirmed and didn't like it at all. Poor Douglas. Why can't I find a hug? He said. If I want a hug, if you, if I want a hug, said a wise owl, I sit in my tree and uh, look at the little sheep on <laughs> like stuck to the bear. Stuck to Douglas's butt, I think that. Anyway, okay, let me try, whooped Douglas, and he scrambled up next to the owl, but he soon found himself in a clumsy muddle. Woo, twit, said the owl crossly. I only wanted a hug, sniffed Douglas. Perhaps there's one down here, and he felt something long-eared and rabbity and gave it a tug. Douglas could tell the rabbit didn't want a hug. <laughs> he sniffed again and, without thinking, wiped his nose on the fluffy end. <laughs> Excuse me, shouted the rabbit. Put me down. But I need a hug, said Douglas, and I can't find one anywhere. Oh, I see, said the rabbit kindly. Hmm, come with me. And so she took Douglas by the paw and led him round and about. 
At last they came to a deep, deep, dark cave where a sleepy someone was just waking up. Douglas peeped inside. He had the funniest feeling that he knew the someone very well. Hug? asked Douglas, and ran as fast as he could towards his mom. Come to think of it, my best hugs are from someone I love, said Douglas, and he snuggled into the biggest, warmest arms that he knew. And then if you really want to look it up, you can look at all these different kinds of hugs. <laughs> all kinds of them. <laughs> Daisy chain gang hugs. That looks really interesting. Anyway, that's the story of Hugless Douglas. Ah, someone needs a hug. You might, and now, again, you might wonder, like, huh, what? does this have to do with the new year? And especially if you're going into Lamentations. Lamentations, well, it's laments, right? You know what Lamentations, you, what, you know what laments mean, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. Well, let's read. I want to read starting at verse 21 to 25, okay? of chapter 3. Lamentations, chapter 3, starting at verse 21. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. You're going to see why Jeremiah needs hope in a minute. Though the Lord, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Okay, well, that's a little more righteous, right? A little more hopeful than... You're thinking about lamentations and what lamentations are all about. And, well, we, let, let's just introduce the book of lamentations as to... Uh, I've got a skill testing question. Uh, this is multiple choice, and so it should be easy. I know that some of you are a little bit foggy from staying up late, maybe, you know. And, and so try to make it easy. Multiple choice. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. Why? Okay, A, he had a rough marriage. B, 2,500 years ago, a scribe made an error. It should have been the sweeping prophet. C, he loved cooking with onions. Uh, or, or D, uh, the children of Israel were a rebellious bunch. They were hard of hearing and ultimately rejected God's word. It grieved God's heart, and Jeremiah felt it personally. If you said, <laughs> if you said D, you would be correct. Ah, oh, Jeremiah needs a hug. Jeremiah needs a hug. Well, there's unique characteristics in the book of Jeremiah. It was written by Jeremiah. Um, 
and in a number of poetic styles. And we lose that in our English translation. Chapters 1 to 4 are written in alphabetic form. And, and so there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and every verse starts with a letter. And so from, it'd be like English, A to Z, except in Hebrew, whatever the first one, to the last one, each verse starts with that letter. It's amazing, really. It's an amazing piece of work. So that is chapters 1, 2, and 4. Chapter 3 has 66 verses, right? And so it is 22 groups of three. And every verse, every three start with the same letter from A to Z. It's really amazing. And then, um, and then chapter 5, it has 22 verses, and it's not alphabetical like the rest, but it's poetic in the fact that there are two lines, and the first line is longer, and the second line that goes with it is shorter. And so that's all the way through the 22 verses. And so uh, Jeremiah, you, he was an amazing writer, actually. And there, here's the really interesting part concerning the writing of the book of Lamentations. Many prophets had prophesied concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, right? That the, they, they would be taken captive and taken over to, to Babylon, and they would be there. And remember when we talked about Daniel, Daniel was reading Jeremiah. And, he, and through Jeremiah, he figured out that they would be in captivity for 70 years over there. That was through Jeremiah. And so here's the thing. Many prophets had prophesied concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. Many of them had. Uh, most had either died before it happened or they were elsewhere. Not Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as a matter of fact, lived through it. And perhaps Daniel, actually. Daniel might have been a young, young teenager living in Jerusalem at the time. And so he may have met Jeremiah. That's very possible. Uh, he lived through it. With his own eyes, he saw the, the destruction. This is Jeremiah. Saw the destruction of Jerusalem. From Chuck Smith, um, I get this. There is on the site of Golgotha, which is at Jerusalem. And you know what Golgotha, that's where Jesus was crucified, right? Okay. A cave that is called Jeremiah's Grotto. This cave is known um, as Jeremiah's because it is, and it, it is part of the face of the skull. That's where Jesus, again, where Jesus was crucified. And it's interesting that from those caves, you have an amazing view of the city of Jerusalem. From Golgotha, uh, for, it's actually the top of Mount Moriah, which if you remember your history, is where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. Right? And God said, wait, wait, no. now I know that you believe me, right? And, and, and so, the, of course, that was a sign, a picture of Jesus being sacrificed for us. And um, when, when his son asked Abraham, you know, here's the wood and here's the fire but where's the sacrifice and, and Abraham prophetically said God himself will provide a, a, a sacrifice a lamb All right. and so this is where this is where 
um, this is where Jeremiah sat as Jerusalem was being destroyed, as it was, it was completely leveled and burned. And, and so he looks down over the city of Jerusalem. Tradition declares that, that, that he was there and he was writing the book of Lamentations there. And while he was weeping and crying over the desolation of the city of Jerusalem, he saw its ruins, he saw the walls destroyed, he saw the buildings leveled, and the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures completed around 200 B.C., that's the Septuagint. There's 70 scholars that translated the, the, the Hebrew into Greek. Um, and they prefaced the book of Lamentations with these words. And it came to pass that after Israel had, carry, had been carried away captive and Jerusalem made desolate, Jeremiah sat weeping and lamented this lament over Jerusalem and said, How doth the city sit solitarily? And so... Jeremiah needs a hug. He's weeping over the city as it's completely being destroyed. And Jeremiah, of course, is considered a type of Christ. And a type of Christ, that means a shadow, a foreshadow of what Jesus experienced because Jeremiah experienced similar things. More than any other prophet, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, most prophets were acquainted with grief and had sorrow, but none like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was very well known. And so he wept over the city. 600 years later, Jesus the Messiah would weep over the same city. And he said, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. When God visited you. Jesus was claiming a deity right there. This is Luke chapter 19. So let me repeat, this is why our text is so powerful and full of meaning. In the context, Jeremiah had, was witnessing this destruction and carnage of Jerusalem, and yet he has hope. And yet he has hope. And so Jeremiah the witness, I want to start now from verse 1 of chapter 3. Also, remember I said that Jeremiah is a type of Christ. Just think of some of these words in the context of Jesus and what Jesus did for us and what we just celebrated here with communion. Okay, just think of Jesus as well. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day, he has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chains heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. Okay, that of 
course, that in reference to Jesus being placed in a tomb, a hewn stone, like they're going to seal the Messiah, and he's not going to get out, right? He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. Now, all of this he's talking about Jerusalem. But again, as a type of Christ, it's very amazing. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I've become the ridicule of my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. So that is, doesn't that sound quite depressing? Jeremiah needs a hug. <laughs> My goodness, that sounds so depressing. So Jeremiah starts out with this elegy. And at chapter 3, that is, and the definition of the word elegy is a poem of serious reflection, typically a lament for the dead. Jeremiah starts with his elegy with, I am the man who has seen affliction. Reminds me of, Oh, brother, where art thou? I am the man, <laughs> right? And of a uh, man of constant sorrow. Well, I think maybe, just maybe, that song, written in the early 1900s, I think, uh, was inspired maybe by the book of Jeremiah, right? I am the man who, is, who, who has, has seen this, this sorrow, right? And this affliction, perhaps, again, um, Jeremiah goes into poetic detail about how he has seen these things. There are some things that we see that we can't unsee. And certainly that's the case with Jeremiah. I remember when my grandmother had heart surgery. Um, <laughs> she, she said, look at You're showing me her scar, right? <laughs> There's some things, like I said, you just can't unsee those things, right? <laughs> right? It just, but Jeremiah saw some things here, the destruction of Jerusalem, that he could not unsee, and it just bothered him. It just made him lament. He grieved. Now, I just want to highlight a few things that Jeremiah, the witness, saw with his own eyes. If we go further back, and now, uh, starting in chapter 1, it, it starts out how lovely sits the city that was full of people. Now she's like a widow. Was great among the nations. Now she's gone into slavery. Basically, Jeremiah 1.1. Right? Further into chapter 1, there's starvation. People trading their valuables for food just to survive. Significant words in chapter 1 are collapse, sorrow, desolate, trampled, and distressed. In chapter 2, it's clear that God is in control and that the pain and suffering Jerusalem is experiencing is from the hand of God. 
Now that one's a hard one for us to wrap our, our, our minds around. What? God is doing this? That's what Jeremiah saw. That's what Jeremiah explains, that God is in control, and this is from God's hand. That God brings suffering upon those he loves is hard. I hear so many people say things like, the God I believe in wouldn't do that. Or if God was real, he would prevent those tragedies from happening. Right? I hear that all the time. Listen to the wisdom of C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. C.S. Lewis argues that not only is it possible to find God when life is hard, but also that in a sense it's easier than when life is good. Because when life is hard, you've got no hope other than the Lord. And you are going to call on him and you're going to look for him in your pain. That's what the argument is. Now I would agree with that. Now to chapter 3. The king of Babylon is the rod of God's wrath. Again, it's clear that God brought this upon his own people. In this age of grace, we don't like to think in those terms. God wouldn't do that, we believe. I've had a few conversations with those who have experienced pain and suffering. I remember Alois, and I've talked about Alois before, who was crippled because of a farming accident, and she, by her own admission would not have been interested in pursuing Jesus had she not been crippled. And she says, God saved me through that accident. She would not have looked for the Lord but by that, in that accident. And I remember Adam, who spent many days in the hospital with health issues, and we agreed together that God put him there to be a light and a testimony to those who would see him there, even to the point where the person next door would ask for prayer because his pastor would come and visit him and pray with him. And the next person would one wondered if the pastor would come and pray with him too. I was happy to do it. Carol, whose faith and testimony touched those who cared for her in the hospital, how can you be so positive when you are dying? That was Carol Murray. Many of you know who that is. Again, Jeremiah, speaking for Jerusalem, admits that it's the Lord that has done this, brought darkness rather than light. Darkness often speaks of distress, calamity, and affliction. When Judas went out to betray Jesus, John says these words, just a short sentence, and it was night. Darkness. Darkness and so now the inhabitants of Jerusalem were brought into the darkness of captivity. In these verses, Jeremiah also describes the Babylonians as coming against the city in a siege. He has besieged me, surrounded me, that's verse 5, set me in dark places like the dead, verse 6, hedged me in so that I cannot get out. Heavy chain, verse 7, torn to pieces, desolate, verse 11, a target for the arrow, verse 12 to 13, covered me with ashes, verse 16. Covered me with ashes. Do you, do you get the picture of that? 
They had them blocked in. They couldn't get out. They had the city surrounded. And anybody that tried to move or escape, they were targets for the arrow. Covered them with ashes. That means the city was on fire, right? And ashes were raining down on them. They couldn't get away from it. They were in distress. And Jeremiah saw all of this. And so this is the scene. Darkness, hunger, death, slavery, desolation, city on fire, ashes everywhere, no escape. This is what Jeremiah saw with his own eyes. And that's why he was weeping over Jerusalem. For years he said it was coming, and now it was here. Man, Jeremiah needs a hug. So what's Jeremiah's hope then? And this is a big, big statement in the midst of all of this that he is witnessing and seeing with his own eyes. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It changes the first 20 verses. It just seems desolation and death everywhere. Ashes raining down, destruction and then verse 20 changes. It changes my soul. I mean, I mean, 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What does he recall? What is he thinking about? It's huge. Jeremiah is not talking about what he sees currently from his cave overlooking Jerusalem. He's not talking about the darkness. He's not talking about the billows of smoke. He's not talking about the destruction and the killing. He calls to mind that God is on the throne. And that God is a God who keeps his promises. He calls to mind that God has not abandoned his people. That's what he calls to mind. And then he says, so through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. The English Standard Version puts it this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In the middle of tragedy and suffering, we might be tempted to think God doesn't love but Jeremiah recalls this, first of all, that God loves us. It's not just that God loves us, but that God is steadfastly in love with us. He doesn't stop loving us. His love is steadfast. Steadfast means firmly fixed or immovable. In other words, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because his compassions fail not. This builds on the first part of, his, of this passage. God's compassion or his mercy, in some translations, comes out of love. Because his love is steadfast and knows no end, neither will his compassion. The word that is translated as fail is the Hebrew word kala. It means complete, be concluded, be gone, be finished, be accomplished or come to an end. This word carries with it the idea of finality. But here in verse 22, there's a knot that is connected to that. And so, and so it, God's mercy toward you will never be finished. It will never be con concluded. It will never come to an end. It will not fail. And because, God, because of God's steadfast love, because of his mercy and compassion, they will not fail, and that continues throughout eternity. His mercies are new every morning, every time we wake up. God's mercies are new. 
Having a bad day, wait till tomorrow. God's mercies are new. The Euphrates River is drying up, but God's mercies will never dry up. They are new every morning. Did you mess up? Big time. Be encouraged. You have an opportunity to return to God. That's repentance. And find that his mercies are new in the morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the, this last part ties the whole passage together. We receive mercy and compassion, not because we are faithful, but because God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hast provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And so it's a new year. 2023. Man, when I was a teenager, I could not have dreamt that we would make it this far. I thought Jesus was coming sooner for sure. But I still say he's coming anytime. I mean, it's a new year. Taxes are going up. We hear that all the time. Inflation is out of control. The world is on the brink of war. Your house needs work. Maybe you don't have a house. Maybe you need a house. Your health, maybe you can't afford a house. Your health isn't what it used to be. You don't know which way to turn anymore. Fake news sounds so real. Ah! Your friends have abandoned you. Someone needs a hug. I can't think of a more fitting way than to start 2003 and end at 2003. Did I say 2003? Whoa, I didn't think we would make it to 2003 either. Okay. So I can't think of a fitting way. Let, let's delete that part. Well, I can't think of a more fitting way than to end this message, put it that way, and begin 2023 with, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeremiah. We thank you that even in the midst of um, uh, all of that craziness, all of that, that, that the stuff that made him weep, uh, that he was weeping, I believe, because he was connected to you, because you were weeping. He was weeping. And you weep over uh, humanity. And you see the destruction, and you see the things that, are, that, that seem out of balance, and you see the wars, and you see the fighting, and you see the injustice, and you weep, and we weep with you. But Father, in the midst of all that, we have hope because you are on the throne, and we want to place our trust in you because your mercies are new every morning. Help us to remember that for this year. Help us to be a light in the darkness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll remain standing for this benediction, and I would say again that I would invite anybody to come and pray at the front um, after the service. 
I will be up here for a few minutes. And so this benediction, now may the God who gave us a brand new year, the Savior who walks beside each day, the Spirit who fills us with abundant life, grace our new year with faith, hope, and love. Amen. Amen. God bless you in 2023.